0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. I offer my welcome along with, with Michael's. Um, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me, if you have a Bible, to John chapter 4. We're continuing in a passage that we opened last week. John chapter 4, we see Jesus's. Uh, conversation with the woman at the well and last one uh, last week we saw and heard part one of that conversation as we as we read this uh, text uh, from uh, verses 1 through 26 we we heard Jesus patiently lovingly engage the woman in conversation and through that Conversation, he also patiently, lovingly leaned in to draw out from her her great need. He drew out her past. Then he ended uh, at least part one with that confession to her that he was the Messiah, the Messiah that she spoke of today. We come back to that conversation, and we see that the intentional conversation of last week proved in time to be a fruitful conversation. We see that fruit playing out over the course of three scenes, and we want to read those three scenes as they come. We'll sort of make our way through this text. Uh, I'll begin in just a moment with verses 27 through 30, but before we turn to that passage. Let me pray for us. Would you bow with me? Father, as we, um, as we come to this text, we trust that you've brought us here, you've brought us to this place, you've brought us to this passage, because you desire to speak to us. And so we ask that you would speak. We ask that you would give us ears to hear the word that you have for us this day. In Christ's name, amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. I know, I always ask a question. Um, here's today's question. Can people change? Really? What do you think? world outside will tell us the way a person is, the way they always will be. So what do you think? people change their ways can their hearts be changed how about you can you change what does that look like what does it look like for other people to change what does it look like for you to change what are the markers how will we know if real and lasting change is taking place Uh, there once was a man named john newton lived back in the 1700s, John Newton was the kind of man that no one would have thought could change. He was born in a Christian home, but his parents died young, and he was shipped off to live with an unbelieving relative, one who did everything in his power to destroy the seeds that had been planted in Newton's young heart. He abused Newton until eventually Newton ran away from home and um, became a sailor. In this new profession and new life, Newton gave himself over to all manner of gross sin. And and in time, he, he became a slave trader, hardened by the life he had chosen he was the kind of man that you and I would be tempted to write off. There's no chance for him, no chance for John to change, for anything good to come out of his life, but God didn't write him off. You see, the hound of heaven pursued him. Pursued him, and in the worst of his sin, and the worst of his Conditions, so he found himself in the bowels of a, of a slave ship. And there, the seeds of Scripture that had been planted in his heart as a young boy, the Lord began to bring back to him, began to water them, began to grow them. There, in the bowels of a slave ship, John Newton began to experienced Jesus' love for him, a hardened sinner, the worst kind of sinner. There, at the end of himself, surrounded by his own depravity and the depravity of man, he experienced an amazing work of grace. Amazing work of grace that drew him to Jesus Christ and it brought about a radical change, a radical conversion in the life of this slave trader. So that John Newton would become a pastor, an evangelist, and a hymn writer. The Lord would use to write one of the most beloved hymns in all of Christendom. Amazing grace. This is a man that the Lord would use to to give us those sweet and authentic words. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Newton wrote and captured these these simple lyrics that poignantly speak to one of the clearest signs of conversion, a transformed life. It's what we see in, in Newton's life. It's what we see in the life of this Samaritan woman. The text is... It's so understated that it's almost easy uh, to miss. Almost tucked away in verse 28, we see that she left her water jar and went away into the town. Do you remember why she was there at the well in the first place? She was thirsty. She had a need. So she went to the place where that need could be met. She She lugged her jar there to the the well to to receive the water that she would need. And she did so in in the heat of the day. Which spoke to her need, but it spoke to so much more than her need. That timing indicated something deep and profound about her and her heart. She was there at that time to avoid the crowd. You see, this woman... She had a past. She actually had a present too. She knew it. The crowds knew it. It was her shame. And her shame caused her to to keep to herself. But now, at the well, she tasted not only The water from that well, she tasted the living water and experienced a fundamental change. You see, this woman had just met Jesus. And so, when verse 28 tells us that she left the water jar, what it is really telling us is that all of a sudden, everything in her life had changed. She ran from that well to go see and talk to the very people that she had once avoided because what once was the shame that kept her in hiding was now a matter of small potatoes. What isolated her in the past no longer mattered because she had had a life-changing encounter with the living God. Maybe thinking to yourself, James, I think you're reading a little too much into this text, those those few words. After all... The text didn't, didn't indicate that, that Jesus led her through a sinner's prayer. There's a few steps that are, that are missing in this, in this transformation. No, we didn't read that in this text. We, we read and heard and, and saw something better. So life transformed. Her thirst didn't matter. Her shame... It didn't matter. She ran to town to see the people who once shamed her because the thing that had caused her hiding was now the story that she had to tell. Come. Come see a man who has told me everything that I ever did. She knew what she had done. The people knew what she had done. And that's what kept her isolated. But now it was her confession. Before them and before the Lord our God. And that confession, it is it's the fruit of conversion. What can bring about this change? What brings about this change in a person? A new love. A new love. That's what Newton experienced on a slave ship. He experienced the grace of Jesus. Listen, our, our salvation. Our salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone and Christ alone. That means it's a gift given by Jesus. It is His grace and we receive it, we, we evidence our receipt of it through the faith that we live into, grow into a faith that is in Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you are in Christ, it is by grace alone that the hound of heaven has pursued you and brought you from death to life. It is His grace and the faith that you have, that is a gift of God. He's brought you to see Jesus Christ. That is our salvation and that was hers. No, she couldn't articulate it with doctrinal precision, but she knew it in her bones. She knew that her shame had been covered. She knew that she had received a new transforming love, a love that replaced fear. She had to tell the lost. She had to run to go see those very people who would sneer at her, who would talk behind her back or in front of her face. She had to go see them because they were lost. And she now had a burden for the lost. That burden for the lost is a fruit of conversion the fruit of a transformed life and now see this this woman she didn't hear jesus's confession that he was the messiah and then say okay now i need to go get some evangelism training now i need to go learn how to how to how to clearly share this presentation no no She just went and told her story. And then she let the Holy Spirit do the rest. This woman just embraced what I recently heard described of all of us. We're simply beggars. Telling other beggars where to go and find bread. The woman had no illusion of what she brought to the table. She simply knew that she had a need Jesus had clarified that need, a need that she once thought was was for peace and quiet and a little bit of water was was now in need because her sin not only was a shameful sin that kept her from the the people of the town, but it was what kept her from the living God. But Jesus met that. Jesus met that need, and it changed everything in her. She had a new love, and she was transformed by it. She was a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. It's true of her, and it's also true of us. The Lord doesn't need the the precision of our presentation. He needs us to understand this simple truth, but yet, like some of the disciples, we forget it. We forget it, and we need reminding. It takes us back to the text in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. this point the disciples they're just sort of oblivious to everything remember back in verse 27 they they showed back up from town and and they look and and they see the woman and and though they didn't say it with their mouths you know that our body language says more than than our words ever communicate what were they thinking jesus what are you doing with her what are you doing talking to her they weren't concerned about her. They were concerned about what others thought. And, and yes, she was driven by a burden for the lost, a desire to run to town and tell these people about the man whom she had just met. But she also likely, she caught the cues. She left. She left. Disciples, they got back to the important stuff. Lunch. Hey, Jesus, come on and eat. It's time to eat. And at that point, he says something mysterious. I have food to eat that you do not know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish all his work. What is, what is that? Do you, you read that and do you try to figure out what's going on. Does Jesus just because he's Jesus not need food? Is that what he's? Saying, could it be something else? I've got a hunch from reading the rest of the text. Uh, we've come to experience something in our house. Stuart um, has this pattern, particularly on Saturdays, of going and spending the day playing golf or being with friends or doing this activity or that activity, and he'll come home sometime late in the afternoon. And, and we'll ask him, "What'd you have for lunch?" And he just thinks for a second. Lunch? I didn't eat anything. He got so caught up in, in what he was doing, and he loves what he's doing, that that, that takes over everything, and he just doesn't think to, to eat. What was Jesus doing? He was engaging this woman in a life-giving conversation. He was so into his activity that nothing else matters. Again, it's so subtle, it's easy to miss. But what was Jesus doing? He was was ushering this woman into new life. Have you ever seen a baby being born? Have you ever experienced up close and personal this, this Mir- miracle, this, this miraculous gift of, of new life. It is, it's is life-changing to be there. It, in that moment when, when the baby is being born, nothing else matters. You're not hungry. You're not thinking about food or, or drink. You're just focused on this, this gift of, of new birth. It's thrilling. Have you ever had the privilege or the blessing of being used by the Spirit of God to lead another sinner to Jesus Christ? You ever had a front row seat as the the scales fall off of, of a sinner's eyes and they see for the first time the beauty of Jesus Christ and they take hold of this gift of new life in Him? Have you seen a sinner born again, it is just thrilling. There is nothing that compares to being with another person who is coming for the first time to see Jesus Christ and the new life they have in Him, to go from death to life. There's no greater thrill, and I really don't think I'm being crass about this, but Jesus ain't hungry because He's fired up. He's just seen this woman born again. didn't care about lunch at that moment. Friends, this is a beautiful window into the heart of Jesus. As as he's talking with the disciples over the course of this little paragraph, he he would take them in verse 36 to this, this reminder that the sower and the reaper, they will rejoice Rejoices It's the verbal form of joy. He's saying they are experiencing joy. Jesus is, is telling us that there is joy when we see a sinner come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that his joy is so great over this woman coming to know. Salvation and over his obedience to the call of God in his life that food, it just really doesn't matter. And he wants the disciples to share in this joy. So he tells them to go experience it. As so I spent time in this passage this week, I, I think the Lord is showing me that yes, the call to evangelize is, is a call that That is given out of a burden for the lost. And and yes, Jesus is burdened for the the lost to come to a saving knowledge of Him. It's important for us to remember that. But so often, we speak of evangelism as if it is the burden. But do do you see what Jesus is saying? He's he's changing all of that. And He's saying, "Here's here's the reason I want you disciples to go and evangelize because I want you to experience this joy. Jesus is saying that joy is the reason to go and tell others about Him. It is for joy that He is trying to wake the disciples up to this calling. And so He says, look out there. You you know how to read the seasons. You know when it's four months to the harvest. You know when the fields are white for the harvest. You see, When the wheat grows in the field and it's ready, those those grains of of wheat, when they are there waving in the wind and and the sun shines on them, it glistens so that the fields, they look white. It's a visual marker. It's time for the harvest. Jesus says, look, look at all the people. They are ripe for the pickings. Go, experience this joy for yourself. The sowers, they've done their work. And now you, disciples, you get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Now definitely you need to rejoice with them in it. But it's for joy. Let's acknowledge that some will sow and some will reap. And, and both are important, the sowing the seeds and the reaping the harvest. They are both important and both will rejoice together. But the emphasis here in this text is on the reapers. And so Jesus telling the disciples, get on the field. Last week, we talked about Jesus's patience as he lingered in conversation with the woman. He, he didn't rush her through it. He 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 patiently, gently drew out her need, and that patience, that listening in conversation is important for us to be reminded of. It was part of our main emphasis last week, but we still need that patience, yet this week he's telling us, get in the game. It's not so much that Jesus is offering a lesson here as he's giving a pep talk to the disciples and to us with the pep talk concluded uh, the scene rather abruptly changes in verse 39 many samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me all that i ever did so when the samaritans came to him they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days many more believed because of his word They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Isn't it sweet that this young, immature Christian, uh, this young woman in faith was still so passionate that she wanted others to know Jesus, and how sweet is it that she got the blessing of experiencing this joy. She told the people about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts so that, that many believed they too were babies in the faith. What are babies? want and need. They need food. And so loving parents want to feed them. The baby Christians, they came back to Jesus and they asked him to stay. And he did. He stayed for two days, teaching them, feeding them, growing them, nurturing them. And they did. They grew and They grew in knowledge, but more than that, as they grew in knowledge, other people came from the town and others came to know Jesus and to be saved from their sins. We talked about the joy of witnessing new birth. Doctors get to enjoy that blessing a lot. I talked to um, George about this. It's, It's one of his favorite parts of the job. They get to experience that that moment far often than the parents do. The parents experience that that moment of new birth far less often, but the parents get a different blessing that the doctors don't get. The parents get the blessing of being able to, uh, to nurture the child, to feed the child, to watch the child grow. There's a sense in which Jesus is extending his joy. Sense in which Jesus is saying, I, "I want more time with these babies. I want to feed them some more." He's extending his joy by pouring in to them. I'm, I'm reminded of of Paul's words in in Philippians one six, where where he says, "I am confident in this that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." Jesus started this work. Jesus continues this work. Jesus finishes this work. But we see the growth in fruit in them in the concluding words of this passage as they declared their own confession: "This Jesus, He is the Savior of the world." For to replay. This drama. We would see Jesus thoughtfully engaging this woman in conversation. We would see him listening. Listening to her heart. We would see him revealing himself, his identity to her. We would see the scales fall from her eyes. As she is converted, as she is transformed, as she takes on new life in Christ as her sins are forgiven and she is declared righteous in Christ we would see all of that and then we would see that having experienced his grace she ran to tell others part one last week called us to know and love Jesus and then to follow his example but Part two this week calls us still to know and love Jesus. But it calls us to follow her example. To let go of our inhibitions. To tell others about Jesus. But those inhibitions take over, don't they? What is it that holds us back? Some of us are held back from... From going to tell others about this new love because we've bought into this lie of the secular divide, of the separation between our, our public and our, our private lives, the separation between the physical and the spiritual and the, the emotional. Bought into the lie that, that our faith is, is meant to be compartmentalized, kept in the background. Well, first of all, There's no such distinction in Scripture. Whether we know it or not, we are created in the image of God as embodied souls. Thinking, feeling, acting creatures. Whose thinking, feeling, acting, public and private is all intertwined. But secondly, to think in terms of this public-private Divide, that's just not consistent with the way we live the rest of our lives. In all of life, we talk about that which we love. And if you need proof of that, I'll ask you this simple question. How many conversations have you had this morning about football? We'll talk about what we love. What we love most. And so, what do you love most? If we say we love Jesus most and yet don't talk about him to others, maybe that indicates that what holds us back is fear fear of judgment, fear of not knowing the answers, fear of, of ridicule, or just plain old fear of man. That's where the story of the Samaritan woman is helpful, with that fear. You see, there was a time in her life when she was controlled by it. She was so controlled by it that she went to the well in the heat of the day. Before her conversion, shame and fear were her motivating factors. But grace trumps fear every time. And the woman at the well experienced amazing grace. She knew it. There was no hiding who she was. She knew her sin. Everybody knew her sin. And when, when she knew who she was, she knew the gift of a Savior who would tell her all that she ever did and who wouldn't run from her. She knew amazing grace Do we? Do we know amazing grace? Are we amazed that Jesus would love us? Or do we just think in our minds, yeah, it makes sense. Do we see the reality of our sin for what it is? Are we amazed that Jesus would die for us? Or have we grown numb to the gospel? For the woman at the well, it was that simple. She encountered Jesus. He engaged her in thoughtful, intentional, meaningful conversation, revealed himself to her, and it shocked her. Because for the first time in her life, someone knew her and didn't run away. Remember, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Not only did he not run away, he went directly for her she knew it and she felt his love and that love transformed her so maybe what holds us back is we've forgotten the gospel we've forgotten it for ourselves and when we forget it and forget it for ourselves we forget just what it is that we're calling other people to We overcomplicate the matter or we make it about something other than coming to Jesus. We change evangelism to trying to convert someone to a particular style of worship. We're trying to convert them to a particular code of morality. Trying to convert them to to a particular church or denomination but not for the woman at the well. Hers was a simple passionate, joy-filled proclamation with an equally simple invitation. Come. She wasn't locked up by what she didn't know. She simply testified to what she did know. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come. Come, come, come. Come to a person. Come to Jesus. So I ask you, Friends, do you know this Jesus? Do you know the joy of new life in Him? If not, follow the woman's plea. Come to Jesus. Have you experienced the joy of seeing others come? experience this new life do you want to experience that joy again then follow Jesus' plea go into the fields they're ripe for the harvest Father what a beautiful thing that you would expose Jesus' heart to us in this that we would see that his call to get into the field is born out of his desire for us to share and experience the joy that he has experienced. Of seeing the blessing, the miracle of new life. Father, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would awaken us from slumber that we might experience this joy. And Father, by the power of your Spirit, I pray that if there be any here this day who do not know this person, this Savior, Jesus, if there be any here this day who are still caught in the treadmill of shame and fear, of sin, I pray that you would cause the scales to fall from their eyes. They would know that He has come for joy, that He has come for them. Give us this gift of new life today. By the power of your Spirit, in the name of your Son, amen.